Okay, let's get professional in three, two, one. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Squeezing the Orange of Social Science, a podcast co-hosted by myself, comedian Akin Omobitan, and Professor Dan Cable. What's up, Dan? Hello, listeners. Hello, Akin. Yep. And on each episode, the two of us, we take a peer-reviewed and published social science paper, and we squeeze the best bits out of it for you, the listeners, so that you don't have to sift through what how many pages was this one? Um, this was about 42, I think. Was it 42? Yeah. Let's some, say 42. Okay. Yeah, it's let's say one. It's, it, this was it's a big, big a monograph. There, yeah, there were five pages of references alone at the end. Two of graphs. There was, there was, oh, six I, tables. There was, yeah, I was counting the tables. It's, it's exquisite, listeners. It is. And super, my sense is you wouldn't probably get through this one on your own. So you're going to hopefully enjoy that we're squeezing that sweet, sweet nectar for you. Maybe having a bit of fun. Um, who are the authors on this one? It's uh, Olivia O'Neill and Nancy Rothbard are the researchers and professors uh, that wrote this great article in the Academy of Management Journal called Is Love All You Need? And what they're looking at is these really tough jobs where you have to deal with uh, death and if you think about a doctor who conducts surgeries, or you think about an ER surgeon, or you think about, in this case of this article, firefighters, think about policemen, police officers, there's this idea that part of the job and part of what you're expecting is dealing with tragedy, human tragedy and suffering. And what these researchers take a look at is, what are the cultures of places that have to deal with that? And um, I'm going to give hand the baton back over to you in a second. But just for the top, I found it incredibly interesting that the way the best team seem to deal with this is through jo- jovality. Is the word joviality? Joviality, joy, and love. Joy and love. It's all about peace and love, man. It's pretty incredible. I think. I think that if you just pulled somebody off the street and said, "Yeah, if you have to deal with death and dismemberment and pain and so on every day, what's the important thing?" And I'm not sure that the average person would say lots of laughter. This is what's. This is what's so fun about science is. And I believe we mentioned this on the previous one. It's what it's doing is it's exposing the difference between how we think we behave and how we actually behave. The difference between what we think we need and what we actually need. And they're very good in this study at pointing out that some of these, I guess, signifiers are very subtle. And there's a there's a line somewhere in this in the 42 pages of this study uh, where they they kind of allude to this idea of uh, how can I put it? If you're talking about negative emotions, they they show up in ways that are very obvious. Anger is very obvious. Fear, very obvious. Sadness, very obvious. But when it comes to more positive emotions, they seem to take on a more subtle kind of nature. Mm -hmm. And because of that subtlety, we often overlook it in everyday life. And we don't realize how much it's contributing to us having a positive experience, even in a situation where you're a fireman and you're operating at high levels of stress and the calls that you are responding to, you don't know what's going to be on the other end of that phone every time it rings. Every time you go out for a job, if you're chilling at the station, you're, you have this constant anxiety that at some point someone's house could be burning down and they could still be in the house. That's right. 
Um, That's right. And it's your job to either save the life or get the body out. You know, one of the things just at the top, you know, we're kind of like opening up the doors right now of this study. I think it's probably worth noting that we are men and these you know, wonderful studies. There are two different studies packaged together in this article were done by two women. And I think we run the the risk of mansplaining if we're not careful. I love I love running the risk of mansplaining. I mean, here we are, two folks talking about a study of all men, basically. I think it was ninety three percent men or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 90, yeah, no, ninety seven. Ninety seven. Yeah, it's ninety seven men, men. Uh, who were studied. So and blokes three women. talking about blokes, written about by women. Now we're going to mansplain that. I mean, it's just kind of. Um, well, it's worth laughing on ourselves in this Me Too moment. You know, totally. Sort of yeah, yeah. Get it out there. That like. <laughs> and you mentioned there being two studies as well. Uh, so there was a qualitative study, qualitative study, which was done first. And the idea behind this qualitative study was there was a county in the States which had, uh, I don't know how many fire stations, but they went to about uh, 27 there fire 27 stations. 27 that they went to. Yep. Yeah. And it, when, in that totality of 27 fire stations, there were 100 participants uh, 97 of those were men, three of those were women. And so at each station, they had these intimate uh, conversations. So it was within groups of between three to 10 three individuals, to 10. and they would talk from about one to two hours. And they were probed with certain questions, but they also had this ability to open up about the job and about their experiences whilst on the job. So the qualitative one took place first, and that inspired the quantitative study, which later then and uh, came about. That's right. And we can talk a bit about that one. My guess is that the the big ahas for me came to the qualitative study where they sat down with teams in their natural environment and just got them talking about what does a high performance team look like around here. Yep. And they also trained these researchers to capture information about the artifacts in the place, like what was on the walls, whether or not there were hugs. Uh, whether or not there were tables where everybody met, just whether or not there were blow up Superman dolls. Yeah, yeah. So there were there were levels to the way that they captured this qualitative study and were able to break it down. So they had the researchers. So yeah, once again, shout outs again to Olivia Amanda O'Neill and Nancy P. Rothbard. Shout outs to them again, because they were able to do this in a way where they weren't contaminating the information which then came to us. And so if I can explain a bit more about that, there was there were different groups of people who analyzed the information. So while these conversations were taking place, you had researchers in the room who were tracking things like Dan says in terms of hugs, body language, laughter, humor, different things to capture what is going on when they're talking about a high performance team. But what are they really saying? That information after it was gathered, and I think that I saw somewhere was about 270 something pages of notes on these conversations was given to another team. So that team then didn't have that emotional connection to what took place in the room. They were looking at it as raw data, like qualitative data. And then they used that to then group certain themes. And out of that, two of the strong themes in terms of what makes a strong high performing team was 
joviality and compassionate love. And under joviality, we're talking about things like the ability to have fun, the ability to make jokes, so to laugh at others and laugh at yourself. But interestingly as well, there was the ability to play pranks. Yes. Now, yes. I, don't, I don't know what your perception yes. is yes. of a, a fire brigade, but one of the pranks that they played, Dan, was messing with people's alarm yes. clocks. Yes. And that I, I, I was getting concerned, man. I was I like, know. I need to speak to the, who heads the yes. fire. Is it yeah. like the commissioner? It's, it's called the, the, captain the captain or some such. Some I mean, the idea that you're sort of, ha, 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 you overslept. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we lost two of the stories that we could have saved, but it was so funny to see your face when you got up late. <laughs> There's another one that I really, I may use. The alarm thing goes off and people pop out of bed and go running down the hall. They would saran wrap the hall so that they would. Yes. Now so get you, this, you're slowing them down. These pranks are sort of. At the cost of public safety, I it think. It was just, oh man, I was just reading it and I was just like, because what helped as well, as I was kind of reading about the, the value of these things, it, it, it brought more life to what's going on yeah. at these stations. Yep. And a big part of when we talk about high performing teams, this is where the compassionate love comes into it as well. Because under compassionate love, they were talking about warmth, connection and affection as well. So when they're playing these pranks on one another, it's it's not just a way of like passing time. This is a way of us building a connection because after this prank has been played, we've got more things to kind of like talk about. We've got we've got uh, I guess kind of like stronger bonds and connections because uh, if I can, uh, oh, where is it? There was a uh, there was a, a quote on here where I think there was like a plank, a prank gone wrong. Um, oh, and it was with yeah. uh, it was with one of the fire stations that had a female yeah, member right. of the that's team, right. and they played a prank on her where they pretended that she was getting transferred to another station. But she'd basically been fired. Oh, well, it's like we don't want you. Here. Yes, and she broke yes. down into tears. Yes, and then once she started crying, they withdrew from the prank and apologized. And and what's important there as well is that. The, the prank is only helping a high-performing team if you're able to laugh at the person and the person's able to laugh at themselves. Yep. Once they realized she wasn't in a position where yes. she was laughing along, yes. they, they pulled it completely because it's like, now this isn't yes. funny because yes. this is affecting the compassionate love element right. of it. That notion of having both at the same time is what predicted the high-performing teams. You not only need to be able to laugh at the situation and laugh at yourself. A lot of them called it this morbid sense of humor, and maybe we'll give some quotes on that in a little bit, but it's this idea not that we should be laughing at death and pain and dismemberment and so on, but that it is necessary to deal with that and that our brains often can't cope very well with it. And one way to help ourselves cope with that darkness is to find humor, dark humor within that. It's almost like a release valve. I think that that's one of the deep learnings for me in this article. It really is. The idea that just because logically we'd say, just forget about it, scraping those brains off that ambulance floor. Just don't think about that. That's not how emotions work. And what was interesting that the study found is that when people were taking that approach, because I guess this is another thing that's quite important about this study when we're talking about uh, teams, we're talking about maybe workplaces, we're talking about organizations. What's important is that 
they're they're looking at areas here where because not not every fire station was operating at this high level where they had the joviality and the compassionate love and so if you don't have the two of them combined what what they were finding is that people were suppressing their emotions and when you suppress your emotions it starts to pour out in different ways for instance alcoholism yep taking real risks with how fast you drive the hook and ladder the actual you know engine also uh extracurricular kind of really risky sports and motorcycle riding at top breakneck speed which i found i found that part interesting as well so you've got a bunch of uh pretty much let's just say a bunch of men you've got a bunch of men who are engaged in a high risk job and because they're not processing their emotions when they leave that work setting it's like they need a release for that emotion. So you'd think- It got canned up. Yeah, it got canned up because when you're on the job, you don't consider that as your, I guess, your personal time. So outside of that, they were doing things like, I don't know, they they enjoyed things like, um, I guess there was like extreme sports. There was one line, it's because you mentioned excessive drinking, Mm -hmm, drug use. mm -hmm. Um, They also mentioned high risk sexual activities. Mm -hmm. And I was very curious Mm -hmm. as to- (laughs) What? You want more on that? I, I was just, it was one of those lines where I was thinking, what does high risk sex yeah. mean to me? But then I was also trying to think, what does high risk sex mean to someone in in the fire brigade? And all of my mind was just thinking about, I guess, um, uh, not protecting yourself in yeah. terms of like from yeah. like uh, STDs and STIs and probably putting yourself in situations yeah. that probably you feel like you're yeah. releasing yeah. your your stress in one aspect of your life. And I guess I bring this up additionally because part of the issue of not having this balance of joviality and compassionate love, part of the issue there is that Oh, my mind's running in oh, like so yeah, many because this yeah. friggin' thing was bloody. Yeah, it was dense, deep, man. It was rich. It was friggin' dense. I've, yes. I've lost my train of no, thought. No, it's I'm okay. Gonna, I'm going to hand well, back to you, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and then when I think of it, I'll cut you I'll off. I'll say it in a way that might be funny, but <laughs> not really. It. To bring levity into this is going to connect to the high risk sex in a moment. To bring levity into this, they would tell each other stories of crazy calls. And one of the crazy calls was patients who had objects stuck in their rectums, for example, bottles. And that seems to be bringing the high-risk sex yep. together with the joviality. <laughs> and maybe that's a bridge that I can hand to I you. was, I, I, yeah, because like, I feel like firemen deserve uh, a lot more props because after, after reading this article, it's like, you guys got to deal with all that? Like the, yeah, like, the stuff yes, that they had to deal yes. with. There were things in here where I was a bit like, wait a minute, is that the fireman's, is that the fire brigade's job? Or is that the, because one of the crazy <laughs> stories that they dealt with was they had to respond to a case in which a young man was boy. chasing, a young boy, boy was chasing his mother around with a knife. A and I was thinking, a butcher's knife, a butcher's it's knife, a butcher's like knife. chasing his mother with a butcher's <laughs> knife. And for some reason, the fire brigade are the first respondents. And I can imagine like a bunch of coppers somewhere in a in a donut shop being like, you call us right back when he catches her. Because yeah, that's at this moment. Yeah, it's like- and by, by the way, who called? The mom? Picture that call. 999. Um, yeah. Yeah, my kitty. He's got this. Looks like a butcher knife. Yeah, you know, he's almost on me. I got to hold on. I got to make it around this bend. <laughs> <laughs> Who's calling? 
Who makes that call? Cool. And then do you think that maybe she calls the police station like, um, is there been a crime yet, ma'am? No? Okay, then call the fire department. They probably aren't doing much. Yeah, meanwhile, the fire department are like full, like wrapping each other in like <laughs> in saran, saran wrap. wrap. <laughs> <laughs> what an image. Oh my God. Oh, wowzers. Um, so I just, um, again, if I go to what I found most intriguing, there's a lot here. There's a lot here, but I want to say this and then we can kind of play around with it. When I think about dealing with death and dismemberment and so on, joviality wouldn't have been what would have hopped in the front of my mind, okay? So then I'm thinking, all right, it is a way that maybe in the military, maybe in, you know, for, for people that are surgeons, maybe it's a way of dealing with that darkness. That's one thing. Then when I read some of the crazy stories in which they've had to deal with, it really does take the breath a little bit. And I, I thought maybe we could read or one or two more to kind of show. I'll go for it. And then where I think some of this goes is this masculine culture. Yeah. So before we do the reading, yeah. we can have a bit more of a talk about this, this idea of yeah. what masculinity yeah, is as well, because especially in present day where, so present day, we're talking summer of 2019, the discourse that I am seeing everywhere is masculinity bad. Like, and I'm seeing it in a lot of different kind of like avenues, media, news. Um, it's fiction. on its way out. Yeah, it's like, let's get rid of masculinity. And when we talk about masculinity, so what we're talking about here is this ability to be tough, to be stoic, um, uh, to, to be able to kind of like exert, yeah, competitive. These are, they're called um, sort of cultures characterized by this high importance placed on these. It's not that those are all men, of course. It's not that women can't be that. It's just that when you think about these stereotypes of what, how men act, it seems that these all male professions um, are expected to show that. They're expected to be that. It's encouraged even. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you could think about that again. Think about military. Think about working on an oil rig. Think about, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's not that women couldn't have those jobs. It's not that women couldn't show those traits. It's just that that's been really rare statistically. Yeah, because I guess additionally as well, as I was reading through the study, the, so with the, the fire, with the fire departments that they looked at as well, it was, I believe it was like probably around 85 to 90% Caucasian men. So they, they, they do note this as one of the um, limitations of the study. Of the society. Um, which is why we're trying exist. to... Yeah, <laughs> to yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Which is why I guess we're yeah. trying to break it out to not just look at it as fire stations, but we're talking about high-performing teams. So when you have a team that is damn near like um, exclusively white men, there's certain, I guess, behaviors which are, are going to kind of come out of mm. that. And I guess this is part of the value of diversity as well, because when you do bring diversity into situations, you may have cultures that are a lot more uh, free or liberal about expressing um, emotions. And when someone sees that, it does kind of, I guess, legitimize or give license for others. But what we found here, which was also quite interesting, I'm going to hand back over to you after I say this, because you had some bits that you wanted to read as well. What I, I guess was quite, ah, oh, man, I've, I've lost my train. Again? Of again. Yeah. Oh, There's oh, too much. I wonder what's going on this there. 
<laughs> it's like all slipping. It's like seeping through. Do you uh, think it's because you want to be a fire? I do not want to be. After a lot no. of the stuff that I read here, I don't, oh, man, this is, wow. ro- I felt a little less macho reading this. Mm. Some of the stuff that they were, they were dealing with and talking about, I felt slightly less macho. Well, I'll tell you something interesting is when they ask them, what's the sort of person that does well here? What, what sort of person? What they didn't talk about are these traditional st- masculine traits of, oh, they have to be so strong or, oh, the best ones have to be so self-reliant. What they said are things like, you have to be able to take a joke. One of them said, like, you have to, you have to be able to have fun. No stiffs around here. Yeah. And again, no accountants. That, yes. I mean, strangely, this idea about in order to do this job well, you can't just act in that masculine way. You have to be jovial and joyful and know how to prank and also have this compassionate love, this companionable love, this idea. You know, it's not the sort of, they're not all gay. You know, they're not sort of looking at this sort of love, the sex love. They're talking about like, you have to be able to empathize with what the other person is doing, feel what they're experiencing and know when they're having a really hard day, know when to be able to pick up their job and run with it because they can't. This is what makes the highest performing teams, saving the most lives, having the least alcohol um, problems after work, being able to have work-family balance and not burn out. And I, I think that it's really important and interesting to, as you said and started us off with, remember that how things seem from the outside, having never been a firefighter, might be really different when you have to cope with this stuff as a firefighter day in and day out. Yeah, the reality of it is... Like, read, read, maybe we will read or one or two of these quotes. I, and I, maybe, maybe not many more is needed, but I have to say the quotes is the beauty of this ethnography, this qualitative research. What's so beautiful about it is it's not a survey. It's in their own words what they're coping with. And I found some of that to be pretty, for me, uh, attention-grabbing. It really helped me live what they were dealing with in these in these units. Totally. Um, yeah. What, what, what are some what, of the quotes that you sort of, one or two that you wanted to put out there? Right? Well, I guess before we jump into the quotes as well, I guess I'd kind of like dip back into this idea that like, we're talking about once again. We're talking. This isn't the standard for these teams. Like this combination of joviality and mm. compassionate love, it's it not was, the standard. Thirty percent. Well, yeah, that's what I was just about to say. Yeah, thirty-seven. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it says, uh, and in their words, we identified ten stations. Ten stations. So 37 percent of the sample as having both a strong culture of joviality and a strong culture of compassionate love as well. And that balance matters so much because when they have that, when they strike that balance, what it means is that the 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 firemen are taking fewer risks. They're taking fewer risks when they're out on calls. They're also responding to calls much quicker as well, because when we talk about this ability to kind of like prank and joke around this idea of compassionate love, you're reading each other. Mm -hmm. And in that reading Mm -hmm. each other, when the alarm goes and you have to respond to a call, you know each other on an intimate level. You can know what the other person's thinking with a look. Yes. Kind of like an orchestra. Yes. Yeah. 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 Kind of like um, a jazz band too. Yeah. The idea that we have to make this up in real time. And the only way we're going to be able to really pull this off is if we're sort of feeling what each other are feeling. Yes. And they they develop that feeling through this joviality and compassionate love. Because you can't, if you, if you have to keep waiting for a job to take place before you develop that connection, yep. 
you, a lot of jobs need to take place before you're like, that's yeah, a high functioning team. Right. And a lot of what they were doing as well, they work really long shifts. So they're away mm. from home for long, like let's say like two, three days yes. at a time. They sleep at the station. There's a, there's a lot of kind of like patience in terms of waiting for something to happen. When it happens, you don't have that boot up time. It's like, go. Like you're pretty much hanging around in full, pretty, more or less in full uniform. And the whole time... And then you got to worry about that goddamn saran wrap. You got to <laughs> Is my alarm set or not? Yep. Do I have to charge through saran wrap to get to the Yeah, someone the filled my boots with peanut butter and jelly. Again. Again, yeah. yeah. Nice go. one, guys. Let's get original. How about some Marmite? How's about some... <laughs> oh, you got me there. Yeah, how's about some Bertoli? Uh... <laughs> but like, it's because there were little things which I, I think they, they, they probably don't get enough credit for. But it's even simple things like meals. Your meals are interrupted. Like you can spend, I don't know, an hour and a half making a fantastic meat sauce. And everyone, it, the, the smell is filling the station and everyone's kind of laughing, joking, playing cards. Yeah. You're, you're getting to know one another. You're yeah. sharing war stories. Right. And then like, you know, the pasta gets boiled and everyone sits down. Maybe someone says grace as well. And it's like in this moment, yep. I feel connected to you. You guys are all and of my bam, brothers. Salute. This just happened. Um, this I is was... why they're having so many road accidents because they're driving at high speeds whilst eating, yeah, whilst eating spaghetti bonnelaise. <laughs> Listen. It's like you gotta enjoy it while it's fresh. It's like one of them's grating parmesan on t- <laughs> sixty miles per hour. One, one hand in the pot. Yeah, one. <laughs> we were um, as an aside. I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and my uh, nephew Derek is. What's uh, up, Derek? Hey, Derek was making cookies with my two daughters and my mom. And just as they were in the middle of making these cookies, it, his alarm went off. He is a volunteer firefighter. Oh, wow. And he ran out. He dropped everything, literally ran out to the car and peeled out. And none of us knew what happened. We, we didn't, like, did he get a bug bite? He didn't say anything. He just went. I mean, he ran. And then his mom came in and we were like, what the hell? What, what, what? And she's like, yeah, he probably got a call. He, and this is several times a week. He See, that's one perk alarm. of the job, man. Drop everything. Yeah, Dude, like you, you, I would love that oh as a gosh. perk of the job. I didn't like know that. Yeah, I, would like, you but, sometimes do it even when there was no call and just feign? A that's call? the perk. That is the perk. <laughs> like that. When I say that's the perk, like you know when people go on like first dates and they're a bit like oh, this person it. might be a bit weird. It. If you could just call me at like eight fifteen yes. and I'll let you know yes. what's up yes. because I might need idea. to use this as an excuse to get out of there. If you're a fireman, like, and you're just, if you're like engaged in yeah. a conversation, oh, sorry, you're also really but you guys funny, are getting it today. As a comedian, I wonder if you'd make a better firefighter. No. <laughs> apparently, Joey no, Allen no, no. enjoys. Comedians are too self-indulgent. High man. on the list. You seem like you have all the qualifications. I would run into a burning, build, burning building to save a life, but only if there were people sat down in theater style to watch me do it. Yeah, with like, yeah, yeah. I want to come out holding a child in each hand and have people applaud and be like, encore, encore. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get the other two as well. <laughs> Hold these ones. Hold, yeah, hold these ones. <laughs> I'm going to show you all how it's done. Knock, knock. <laughs> Who's there? <laughs> oh, 
Okay. Oh, wowzers. Have um, we made any progress on this study? Um, so I hope so. I feel, I, feel, I feel like I'm enjoying it. It's, uh, but I, I guess it's... Um, <laughs> so, like, because I guess if we can talk a bit about emotional suppression as well, because yeah. that's part of what's deemed to be a masculine trait, is that's this right. idea of right. prefer, preferring... Uh, to be, I guess, yeah. rational or logical yeah. over yeah. emotional. Here's some uh, of the quotes on that. Oh, go for it. These are the negative emotions in a way that involves shutting off, not expressing, not showing their emotions. One respondent described it well as saying, it's not that you don't feel it, you just can't show it. The other one described is that can. I really, I don't know if you remember that quote where he said, it's almost like these emotions are somebody hands you a can of emotions. And like you can put it on a shelf, or you can put it in the cupboard, but like the can's still there. And eventually you got to deal with that can of emotions or it comes spilling out everywhere. Yeah. And I think that that is, again, a really truthful look at how it would feel to have to be a professional and not be able, you know, say it's a crowd of civilians that are coming up and there's brains literally spread all over the ground and you're dealing with that. And one woman's saying, can I just have a hug? I just lost my husband. And you have to cope with all that, but you can't show your own emotions. I mean, this, what you're looking at on a day out, day out basis is, is deeply painful, but you almost have to go inhuman in that moment to be a professional. Totally, totally. There was a line here which said another respondent described how this technique was, and when they say this technique, this idea of suppressing your emotions, another respondent described how this technique was particularly important for handling bystanders in traumatic mm -hmm. situations, mm -hmm. such as parents who may be hysterical over the death of a child. Exactly. So when you're in that exactly. moment, you can't pull yourself out emotionally because you still have a job to do. So when you see the wailing, when you hear the cries, when there's the charred bodies, you can't stop for yourself and take a moment because it's not about you in that time. It's about everyone else. And once you start, it's like, once you let that, I'm not sure, like, I, I, like once you kind of let that emotional door open slightly, especially if you've been canning stuff, a lot is going to burst yes. out. And I believe this is why the, I think the, the life expect, expectancy for firemen was about 55. That's right. I think about all of that emotional suppression. Yeah. Average, um, 30 years. I mean, let's just give a shout out again to people that honor this profession. I mean, that, you, in a sense, on average, you're giving up 30 years of your life. They know that. They talk about it in the article. They talk about it in the units. That this is something that they care so deeply that they're willing to kind of sacrifice that on average. It's a dangerous, dangerous career. And 89% um, of the units mentioned work-family conflict that comes out of this. Totally. That they, they can't go home without that can of emotions. They, they can't put the can and leave it there. Did, did you get the bit about the guy that wouldn't wear his shoes? That's home? what I was just about to bring up. So, yeah, there was a guy in the study who he would, he would leave his – so when he, when he would finish his shifts – He'd leave his work shoes at the his work boots at the station, and he'd put on flip flops. And then the team would kind of like jest him about like wearing flip flop homes. But he he was just a bit like, "What's going on?" It's, it's, it's like he didn't want his day job to contaminate yes, his literally. Yeah, literally. Like, and w the jobs that we're kind of talking about here as well. There was like an instance in which uh, uh, an individual who was persistent on committing suicide eventually did so by dropping an anvil on his own oh my head. God. I mean, I kind of hate to laugh at that. But it's part of the joviality that this is the dark humor. What that jumps to mind is like a Bugs Bunny cartoon where he kills the 
The coyote. The coyote with yep. an anvil, with like an, an ace anvil. Where do you get an anvil from? I think ace. Ace. That company that. Had <laughs> an acme kind of. <laughs> you know, you just you order it and it comes. And a lot of times it misfires or it falls on your head. Yep. If you're the coyote, it falls on your own head. Man, imagine being the delivery guy who's got a, you got a friggin'. Can you just sign here an initial? Here? It's like, yo, man, I got delivery of one anvil and you guys are on the fourth floor with no elevator. Someone come down and get this. Send the lift. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but oh yeah, so God. like you, he you, killed himself. He killed him. Yeah, and for some an reason, anvil. for some reason, the fire brigade end up involved with this. So like when you're when you then go home, like the boots that you're talking yes. about are the boots that have like trampled through. We're talking brains about burning buildings, brains and bloods, all of that stuff. And he didn't want to bring any no. of that home. He said, "My kids way. are crawling all over me, wanting hugs, and I don't want them to touch any of that." I, I don't want to contaminate their world with what I've had to deal with today. It, again, a lot of that stuff really brings home the, you know, again, the tragedy and almost the crisis that has to be put somewhere. It has to go somewhere. We're humans. Yep. It has to be put somewhere, but it, you can't do it when you're being a professional, but you also can't do it in front of your kids or in this case, your, you know, your partner, your spouse comes out and they're mad at you for something that you've done and yep. your kids are crying and, and all of a sudden you have all this emotion. Where does it go? How do you deal with it? And that often leads to alcoholism as yep. a way to dull or numb the pain, uh, burnout so that you quit, so that you, you sort of lose all that experience. So that's why I found the article to be so poignant and so true in a way that it, it helped me get into a place where I understood this, the need for this dark humor that they used yeah. and all of a sudden made it seem not so counterintuitive anymore. It made sense, right? It made it clicked sense because what they were actually yes. eventually ended up doing is they were talking about, even if they were doing it in a, in a jokey way, they were talking about what they were experiencing, but not only were they talking about it because when you have the cultures where it's just high in jovality, but low in compassionate love, work. You, they, you fact, still that was get the, the worst. yeah that was the worst because they yes. become high in yeah. risk taking yes. um they like everything now like i guess it how can i put this when you when you match it with the compassionate love so one you have the 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 release of being able to joke with one another and joke about your situations but you also have the compassionate side as well because they talk about the way that the these men would share kind of like hugs yes and when they were telling yeah. stories that were especially yeah. gripping yeah. people would listen yeah. and it's like i'm here for you man yeah. And they also talk about this idea of, not even this idea, this practice of when you have especially hard jobs, you get referred and you get referred for, I guess, like psychiatric mm. treat. I'm not sure mm. psychiatric is mm. the correct word. Yeah, almost but counseling. Like post-traumatic yeah. stress almost. Yeah, to yeah. kind of help you. Uh, yeah. And it's like, no, yeah. you must kind of like go through this. But without that counseling element, they were also doing it with one another yes, as right. well yes. to help one another yes. get through what they all knew was right. a really tough situation. And that compassion allowed them to feel more like a family rather than you're out there on your own lone wolf. I think they even called it a pack a mentality, pack. a yeah, wolf pack yeah, mentality. Wolf pack, yeah. And literally while they were interviewing them, somebody would talk about something like they had to put down a dog. And again, that maybe doesn't sound like such a big deal, but if you've had also, to put down a dog. Also, it doesn't sound like something for the fire. A fire fire, again, why the fire fire? That's called a dog. I mean, that, it's a vet. <laughs> why are we dealing? Why is the firefighter yeah, putting down up the dog? a lot of slack for a lot of other <laughs> departments or like, yeah, like emergency departments who are not... Do, um, but um, 
So yeah, we've like we've kind of like hit the half an hour mark, and there is still so much. Yeah. So I'd love to kind of give another shout out to the authors of this study, just to kind of give you the opportunity to read it yourself if you would love to. So it's called "Is Love All You Need: The Effects of Emotional Culture Suppression and Work-Family Conflict on Firefighting, Risk-Taking, and Health," and it's by Olivia Amanda O'Neill and Nancy P. Rothbard. Are there any like closing bits that you want to kind of share, Dan? Um, I think if we each said one or two things, well, one of the things that I'd want to put out there is just, um, you know, you and I both love our humor, don't we? That's oh, yeah. something that, you know, just is us. This idea that thinking of humor as allowing you to deal with the dark times so that you can see the world, that's pretty philosophical. Totally. And it wasn't something I was expecting to get out of this article. So that's, that's one thing I wanted to put out there. H- humor is really practical. It, it may seem like, oh, this isn't the time for joking. Could come across as insensitive. And yet, I don't know if that's how it is when you're dealing with dark things. And I, so- think, I think especially when you have that unit of trust. So if you, like, if, if you and I are having a conversation, Dan, there's a level of trust between the two of us. So there's something that I can say in jest where you're getting that what I'm doing is trying to figure out, process, or heal from mm-hmm. something, or understand something, you're not taking it literally. And there, there, there's, yeah. and that's what they have in these stations. There's an element of trust within, which means that amongst one another, and this is possibly why they don't want any stiffs there, yes. because it's like we're using this humor yes. so we can process this stress that we're yes. going through. And if you're not able to do that, then maybe we're not able to do that, which yeah. means low-performing teams. Exactly. Hacken, thanks a lot. This was a lot of fun. Totally. Before we do dip as well, I just wanted to say one bit about, because like, I guess toxic masculinity is it's kind of like a buzz. It has become mm. a buzzword now. Mm. And through reading this study, I guess one of my hot takes or... Um, Did you say hot cakes? I said hot takes. Oh, right. But now I'm right. thinking about hot cakes. <laughs> thanks, Dan. Could not. <laughs> but this idea of, I think when I'm now seeing these conversations about toxic masculinity i think what's going on is you've probably got individuals who are leaning more towards the side of joviality but don't necessarily have the companionship to go along with it so they're expressing a lot of their actions but it's not necessarily with the The love yeah with the love that it should be accompanied with and so socially our response to that is to out and shame people whereas what we should be doing is showing people companionship to let them know that you're part of a group part of the pack you're part of the pack and once i think once people feel like they are part of the pact they're more likely to engage with the pact in a way that Mm. they believe contributes Mm. to Mm. it whereas if you feel like you're on the fringe of a society you don't necessarily feel like you need to abide by its rules or its conditions and i believe that possibly when people are talking about toxic masculinity what they are talking about is people who are kind of like socially on the fringes and they don't have a a group like they don't they don't feel part of that group and they don't have a group in which they can kind of express these kind of elements in a way that is I guess, less harmful yes. to themselves yeah. and others. And that shows belonging, that shows inclusion. Yeah. And also, if someone's pranking around with you, sometimes it might just be because they love you. <laughs> like, they're just, yeah, sometimes it's like, yeah. they're trying to show their way of being a bit like, oh, I'm pretty cool with you, man. Like, that's, that's like why I'm the, joking um, with you. That's, that's like I'm... when 13-year-olds, like, 
the boys throw things at the girls they like, though. I mean, that actually, I threw that's a some, different direction. I threw something to every girl I loved. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was that might have been toxic, my friend. Yeah, it, it probably was very toxic, yeah. If you get, like, an eraser to the back of your head from me, maybe pick it up and check it. Maybe I've drawn a heart on it, and you need to, like, not run and tell the teacher, but let's go for some ice cream. Like, let's... <laughs> Let's hit the swings. Like it's, oh I don't have words. I don't have the words yeah, to express yeah, myself. Yeah, I don't yeah. have the maturity. Yeah, I don't have the maturity, so I pushed you. But just know that I loved you. And I know your <laughs> knee is skinned, and that's how much I like you. That's how much I like you. Yeah. The next time, the next time. Should we sign off? Yeah, we should sign off because I'm about to say something. Goodbye, listeners. Yeah, <laughs> Ciao.